Welcome back to Son of a Preacher Man with Jonathan Martin, a podcast all about finding beauty and brokenness, grace and grit, God and the ambiguity of the in-between. In this episode, Jonathan preaches a sermon at Hope City Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, titled, More of Us. We hope you enjoy. Last weekend I was preaching, I've got some good friends of mine in a band called United Pursuit, and they you know, some fans, yes, they're good guys, aren't they? And um, they put on an event called Reunion, and uh, it's, it's really cool, it's outside Nashville, it's at the old Johnny Cash farm, and I was supposed to speak last Sunday to close that out, and I've just been going through this thing, it's like, um, I guess there's a way I believe that God speaks to all of us all the time. But it's actually fairly rare that I feel like God gives me like really a word. Like that happens sometimes, that has happened all the time. But I had that kind of stirring, that kind of seasickness that I get, that queasiness that felt like something was, was brewing in me and I didn't know what it was. And you know, um, especially I just planned on preaching something that was a little more familiar. But that Saturday afternoon, the day before I was supposed to speak, I prayed something I've never prayed before. I said, Lord, because I just felt like something just wasn't right, something hadn't clicked in me yet. And I specifically prayed, Lord, if I don't have the right word for this yet, speak to me about it in my sleep. I've never asked that before. And um, good thing to know if you want to experiment with this is that it actually happened. Like, I mean, I woke up and I saw this text. I don't think I've preached on it before. If I have maybe once and not nearly in this way, it's just not a text that's super familiar to me. Second Kings chapter six, You'll see why in a few moments, but I think that was the third song when we were singing today. We were singing that, you know, I'm surrounded, but then there's that I'm surrounded by you. I actually started laughing out loud given the text that we have here, but there was just such a sense of this being spirit directed. And uh, one of my mentors, Dr. Ricky Moore, Old Testament professor, has done a lot of work on this text. I didn't remember, I reread some of that later, so because he's had such a role in my life, it just, it just feels like a coming full circle. And while I felt like it was a word for last weekend, it more broadly just felt like the word for this season, as best as I can discern that. So I'm saying that not as a way, because I want to be cautious about this. I, I never know what to do if somebody says like, hey, I've got a word from God for y'all, because that can sound like you know, you're playing a trump card, like I've heard from God, therefore this has to be right, therefore you got to listen to what I'm saying. The way I actually think about it is, if something is set up as a word from God, does it mean, okay, therefore you must listen and obey? It's much more like inviting extra scrutiny. <laughs> it's, it, the spirit of it is more like, I think this is a word, so pray about this. <laughs> I think this is a word, so discern this. Because who am I to say this is a word? It feels like that. I'll use a great phrase from the book of Acts. It seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. It seems like a word, but I'll let that part be up to you guys <laughs> and we'll discern. Let's pray one more time before we dive in. God, I'm so thankful for the gift of your presence. Thankful already this morning for just that moment to be able to to share a communion with you is what what my heart needed. And I wanna pause now because I'm, I get excited and I'm inclined to talk a little bit fast sometimes, and I just want to, I just want to be very mindful and aware that your spirit is with us. The words of the apostle Paul, in you we live, move, and have our being. We breathe you in, breathe you out. You sustain us, you love us with every breath. You're present to us. So I don't want to run past that. And I don't want to get carried away with my own ideas. And I don't want to get carried away with anything that is not you. So I just ask this morning for focus and clarity. While this feels like something that you've given me that kind of speaks to the broader moment that we're in, I just feel the heaviness this morning for people who are, who are really going through a thing themselves. And I just pray somehow, God, that you would allow this to be 
not some broad shotgun thing, but this would be so particular. It would take this larger word and speak in a way with that is, that is singular and tailored to what every single one of your sons and daughters needs to hear. Where there are things that you want to speak to us as a corporate body, where there are things that you want to speak to us as a whole, but where, you, there, where there are things that you want to speak into the most intimate, volatile things that stir in our souls. We want to give, we want to just give you space for that. And I ask you to speak to us, Holy Spirit, your sons and daughters are listening in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. I'll, one last thing I will say, by the way, the worship tremendous today. Thank you. So good for my soul. That was wonderful. Wonderful. You don't get this anywhere, just anywhere. So I hope you don't take that for granted. I'm not going to give you a lot of context for this passage because there's not a lot of context to be given in that way that you have sometime in the Old Testament. This is one of those stories where you kind of feel like you're just, you're just dropped into it. So I don't know what kind of setup I'd give, except there's a conflict brewing here between the pagan king Aram and the Israelites. And we're just sort of put right into the thick of the story, kind of out of nowhere, in 2 Kings 6, verse 8, where the Lord declares, once when the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he took counsel with his officers. He said, at such and such a place shall be my camp. I don't know why that hits me funny a little bit. The English translation says, at such and such a place. You know how we do that. Like, uh, in other words, the details aren't particular. You know, like, so-and-so, such-and-such. I don't know why that hit me funny today, because uh, it's not hitting any of you funny. That's it's how most of my jokes go over. But the man of God, verse 9, sent word to the king of Israel, saying, take care not to pass this place, because the Arameans are going down there. The king of Israel sent word to the place to which the man of God spoke. More than once or twice, he warned such a place so that it was on the alert. So in other words, the man of God, Elisha the prophet, God, God is actually allowing him to hear in his own spirit the private conversations happening between the king and his officials. So no matter what turn that they make, no matter what new strategy they might deploy, the man of God intercepts it every time. And he keeps going back to the king of Israel and saying, I, I happen to know, I've heard what the king is going to do. So they always move. They're always just one step ahead. So in verse 11, the mind of the king Aram was greatly perturbed because of this. He called his officers and he said to them, now tell me who among us sides with the king of Israel? I'm not trying to be too contemporary. This is never, I never thought about this before this moment. Where's the leak? We have leakers here. Somebody's been talking about this. Who said it? Somebody's betrayed me. Who's betrayed me? And that's when he hears one of his officers says to him, oh, no one, my Lord King. No one here has betrayed you. We're not leaking anything. It is Elisha the prophet in Israel who tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedchamber. Now, this is a long time before Nixon and Watergate and stuff getting taped. There were no secret recordings. Nobody's picked up anything on an iPhone. And yet the prophet has been able to hear the very things that the king has been speaking in his bedchamber. No wonder he's perturbed. This is disturbing, disturbing news. So understandably, the king is upset. And he says, go and find where he is. Go and find where Elisha is. I will send and seize him. He was told he is in Dothan. We know where the prophet is. So verse 14, I want us to go a little bit slow here. Really let this sink in. He sent horses and chariots and a great army. All we've got is one little prophet, one man of God, just, just one, just this one guy, one guy. And yet the king feels so threatened that he sends chariots. 
He sends horses and he sends, uh, listen to that language, a great army. Sparing no expense, whatever it takes to shut this guy down, we're going to do it. We're sending everybody. Whole army in after one guy. So verse 14, he sent horses and chariots. This is what we sung about today. And there was a great army. They came by by night and they surrounded the city. Surrounded. See how the Holy Ghost got into the worship mix today? Because I... surrounded and I don't know why somehow in the last week when I read that I felt that word in a way that I can't recall feeling it before because it just feels a lot like my life does anybody know what it's like to feel surrounded surrounded Let me speak to this for just a minute. Surrounded is when you've really got no place to go. You're between a rock and a hard place. There's no particular place that feels like home. There is no people that quite feels like your people. You feel displaced. You feel alienated. And you're out of options. There is no conceivable scenario Have you ever sat down, and whether this be financial, whether this be in context of a relationship, whether this be a sickness, a disease, an illness you're grappling with, have you ever sat down, put all the information out in front of you, and you literally can't think of a scenario in which this works out okay? That's surrounded. There's no way out. There's no escape route. The army has surrounded me. I've got no place to go. I've got no way out. I'm hemmed in. I'm wedged in. That's what it is to be surrounded. I feel like everywhere I go right now, I don't know if this will resonate with you or not, But I keep talking to people of God, to people of faith, who specifically in this season feel surrounded. There is, there's just no place that feels like home anymore. It doesn't feel like they've got any place to go. And one of the, one of the things I feel like God is especially calling me to in this season of my life is so many disillusioned and disenfranchised sons and daughters of the church who don't really feel like they've got a place where they can fit. They want a place where they can fit, but they don't feel like they've got it. And so many people in this highly polarized moment that we're in who just don't quite feel like that there's a place that they belong. No, no matter where I go, no matter what I do, I, I feel like I'm surrounded by an enemy. And it begs the question as we get to in verse 15 and 16, when an attendant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. So he sees this. And his servant said, alas, master. Now I want you to hear the angst in this. What shall we do? I mean, can you feel that? When you're surrounded and you don't have any place to go and there's nobody and nothing that feels safe, What other question would you be asking? What shall we do? At this event I was doing last weekend, I think about 35% of the people there were in ministry in some capacity. And one of the things that I like about what I'm doing right now, I don't know if it'll be like this forever, but right now I'm kind of like, I'm kind of a free agent. Um, Not like, like it's kind of... um, it seems like a lot of pastors and church leaders will feel like they can talk to me about things because I've lived through things and because I'm not right now too affiliated with anybody in particular. It seemed like, and I love that. I love being a vault for people. So part of what happens, I feel like so many people are coming up and I feel like I, I, I was, it was interesting to me how much I even heard this from clergy, people doing some kind of vocational ministry. This question, what are we going to do? Like, I don't, I don't know what to do. 
I've never been to a moment like this in my community. I don't know how to lead it. I don't know how to, I don't know how to make sense. So many, and it's not even just not knowing how to lead. I feel like there's such disillusionment and such despair that's almost in the air right now. It's not just like, well, what will I do with them? I don't know what to do right now with my own soul. I want you to hear this. I'm a person who very much believes that, um, that things like depression and anxiety can be chemical realities in which you need medication. Praise God for good and right medication. That's no judgment on any of that. Sometimes medication is exactly what you need. But it's interesting. I was talking to my friend Scott Erickson yesterday when I was driving here, and we're having this conversation about how it seems a lot of people that we know who have never been prone to depression, like never struggle with it before, right now are just in such a dark place because I feel like there's just that kind of heaviness that's in the air right now. Like whether or not you're a person who's necessarily been prone to that kind of thinking before, I feel like a lot of people right now are just feeling this sense of like, it feels like things are unraveling and nobody knows what's up, what's down, what are we going to do? Like, what, or, or what is the point? Does it ever get better? Is all we can expect that this is just, that it's just going to, I just feel like maybe that's not true for where you are. I feel like everywhere I go, that's what I'm hearing. It's people who don't normally live from that place, but are saying, like, I, don't, I don't know what to do with any of this. I don't know why I'm still here. All the things that go along with feeling surrounded. And the thing about it is, keep in mind, the reason that Elijah's attendant says this, the reason that he's in this place of panic and crying out, what shall we do? It's not because he's paranoid. I love that little saying. It's not paranoia when they really are out to get you. <laughs> he's not delusional. He's not misinformed. He doesn't have bad intel. He saw it for himself. He looked out the window and he saw the king's chariots and he saw the great army that's surrounding them. He saw it with his own eyes. I'm a big NBA fan. And like in basketball, we say ball don't lie. Like you look out the window and you see the, the city surround, you see the army and all that, like the data doesn't lie in that way. Not when you see it with your own eyes. Now I say that. I know we're in a time when we don't necessarily believe in data or facts. If something I hear doesn't conform to my particular narrative, I've decided already in advance, well, that has to be a lie because... I know anything that's not favorable towards me is clearly untrue. So I'm, I'm saying this knowing we're in a moment where people don't necessarily believe in facts or data or stats. But if I can say it that way, the data looks bad. And you know what? At a, in a number of different ways, when I look at the world that I live in, when I look at the country that I live in, when I look at the place that I live, and not just by the numbers, when I look in people's real lives, a lot of the data, an awful lot of the data does not look good to me. When I see the ways in which we continue to pillage the creation and disaster after disaster heaps up, and as endlessly creative as we are, with finding ways to destroy ourselves, all of the technology, all of the weaponry, and all the different ways that that can fall into people's hands. When I see the ways in which people who live in poverty just get poorer, and people who are on the margins just get pushed down more and more, it doesn't feel at all like the time Isaiah prophesied when the mountains would be brought low and the valleys would be lifted high. It just feels like more of the same. The people who have a lot just get more and the people who don't just, it just so much of the actual data, so much of the stats are depressing. One of the things I struggle with with that is like, again, like to, to bring this around, I, it's not in my head. I'm all for being hopeful. 
but I don't want to be the kind of person that just puts my head in the sand and sings sweet songs to myself about Jesus and doesn't have my eyes open to the world as it actually is. This is the most depressing thing I've ever preached. And it's very different because precisely because I felt like this is from the word, a word from the Lord. It's not my usual style. Cause normally like I'll be funny for the first five or 10 minutes and I'll wade in before like I hit you in the stomach and all that. No, I just, this feels more, I'm just kicking you like just for incessantly for 20 minutes is what it's felt like. This is just, cause I'm telling y'all like it, like I just feel like in so many ways, it doesn't just feel bad. It is bad. <laughs> it doesn't just look bad. It is bad. And when I have the conversation, as I do with all the folks asking me, what then shall we do? I can't see an easy path forward. I can't see, well, here, well, if everybody will just do this, man, I wish I was that kind of prophet. Say, oh yeah, yeah, just do this, this, and this. Everything's going to work out just fine. I'm not that guy. The data actually looks bad. So many things that I see with my eyes, it really looks that bad. But then there is this moment where Elisha replies to his servant and he says, verse 16, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. For there are more of us than there are of them. Did you hear that? There are more of us than there are of them. Now, now here's where our report and the Lord's report might get tangled up a little bit. And I don't always know how to work this out because I will tell you one thing, <laughs> what Elisha's servant just saw, his eyes did not fool him. There really is a great army that's surrounding like that part is true. But then there's this other report. There's this other story that God is telling. That even though on one level, yeah, 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 yeah we're surrounded. Yeah, there's a great army. There, there's this other word that comes. There are more of us than there are of them. Really? You sure about that? Quick detour right here. <laughs> I hadn't thought about this story in so long. But it does, I guess, kind of beg the question on who the us is, right? There are more of us than there are of them. Makes me think of this great story Stanley Hauerwas tells about the Lone Ranger and Tonto, where the Lone Ranger and Tonto are surrounded by 20,000 Sioux warriors. And the Lone Ranger looks over at Tonto and says, this looks pretty tough. What are we gonna do? And Tonto looks back at him and says, what do you mean we, white man? <laughs> I love that joke. What do you mean we? <laughs> Who's the us here? Who's the them? I'll get back to that in just a second. But let's read on a little bit further. Elisha said, don't be afraid for there are more of us that are, there are more of us. There are more with us than there are with them. And then verse 17, then Elisha prayed, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the servant and he saw, and listen to this, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That, my friends, is a very different kind of looking. That's a kind of seeing that you don't get any other way than through prayer. I praise God for my friends who do good work in the world on any number of issues, on any number of things, and who are not people of prayer, but I tell you right now, I don't know how you sustain it in the midst of all the things that are going on with that, without some vision, because here's the thing. It's not that there wasn't a great army that was there. Once again, that was not fake news. It's actually happening. The thing about it is, there's a story that God is telling, that God is telling. There's a story that God is telling underneath that story. There's something happening underneath the news. See, that's a lot of the tension that we even get in the biblical text itself, is you've got the royal report, you've got the official account, 
And the official account is always a story about kings and queens. The official account is always a story about armies, battles, and their victories and defeat. The, the account of the officials is always about nations and empires. But then what we have all throughout the prophets, what we have, I even believe, in the, in the gospels, the story of Jesus, is that there is this minority report is that while the story that history is telling is documented through which Caesar is in and which Caesar is out and which king is up and which, you know, who rises and who falls, there's another story that God is telling underneath the story. There's an another story that's happening from the margins. Not everybody has eyes to see it. Most people don't. Most people don't see it. I don't know why that just exploded in my soul in this moment. I'm talking about things this morning that most people don't see. And that I'm convinced most Christians don't see. Most people don't see this because it's another kind of history. It's another kind of telling. You have to go to the margins to hear this story. You have to go to the people on the outskirts to hear this story. Because the kind of story that God is telling is always happening in a way. It's in the shadow of the empire, but it's just a little bit tucked away. It'd be easy to miss it. It'd be easy to look it over. And yet, thank you for that. One, one guy understands me today. One guy understands me. And yet, there is this way that when Elisha's servant looks and he sees the second time, that he actually sees it. And what does he see? He sees, I want to go back there one more time just for my own benefit, because this is making me happy. He sees that the mountain is actually full of horses and chariots of fire. Chariots of fire. You know what, it, what dawned on me this week that he doesn't see? They've been surrounded by a great army. And now, apparently, the people that are surrounding the prophet and his man here are themselves surrounded, but they're surrounded by horses. They're surrounded by chariots of fire. I can't find any mention here of an army. I didn't read anything about a military. They're surrounded. They don't have guns here, but they're surrounded by people with swords and weapons. And now what God sends to surround the people who are attempting to trap them Horses and chariots of fire. See, that says something to me about how God does fight our battles. And I think we sung about that this morning too, that the way God fights our battles is not the way we fight battles. It doesn't require guns. So many people I meet right now who live in such dread fear. Christians who are motivated from that place. But what about the bad guy? What if they come to get us? What if the wrong person gets in power? What if somebody takes my Bible? What if somebody comes after my stuff? We gotta be prepared. We gotta be ready. And this will make more sense in a couple minutes. I don't wanna go too far into the reveal, but I raised that question about like the us versus them. What about the bad guys? What about our enemies? What, 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 what are we going to do about them? See, see, but here's the thing. If you're looking at the world through the eyes of the spirit, if you're looking through the lens, not of the news, but through revelation, then what you understand is what we read from the apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Now see, that right there, this is a bonus for y'all. That right there is the trouble right now with a lot of so-called prophets, is we want prophets that are gonna come and vindicate us, who are gonna say God is gonna show that we're right and they're wrong. God is gonna, God is gonna come down on our side against them. This will become more clear as we go further in the text. But that's not what happens with the prophet here. In fact, what we actually see with Elisha is that this prophet is kind of actually standing in between the two armies. This one man is the only thing that's standing in between all of them in bloodshed. 
See, real prophets can't be bought off. Real prophets can't be co-opted. You can't give them a seat at the table and all of a sudden they'll say whatever Pharaoh tells them to say. All of a sudden, whatever Caesar feeds them, they're going to go out and defend it the next morning on the news. Real prophets aren't bought just because you give them a seat at the table. Real prophets aren't sent to vindicate one side over against the other. That's not what prophets are for. Prophets are called to stand in the awkward in-between space where everybody misunderstands you and everybody mislabels you. There, there's something about that in-between space because ultimately the war that God is fighting the, and, and there is a war. I believe that. I believe that there is a cosmic kind of battle that's going on. I just also believe that the way that war is won is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Weapons of flesh and blood don't work. That's why Paul will say elsewhere that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The kind of things that we're up against can't be, you can't beat them by having a bigger gun. Having a longer sword won't get the job done. Sorry to tell you. And the way that God wins is not because he has a more sophisticated weapon system or better systems and structures. It's not how God wins. It's not how God wins. In fact, when we look at this in light of the grand story of scripture, I know that this is going to be a surprise for a lot of folks. This always seems to surprise people. And I know we have other texts, even within stories about the prophets that kind of give a different kind of witness, but this is one of the reasons I love this text so much is I think it's, it's one of those prophetic texts that makes all the more sense through the light of Jesus. And what we see over and over again through the story of Jesus is that the way that God wins, the way that God's love prevails is not by having greater weapons. God wins by God's own sacrifice. God conquers through the cross. Let me simplify the book of Revelation for you because everybody's afraid of it. The simple message of the book of Revelation is that Jesus wins over the forces of sin, death, and hell through his own sacrifice. Through his own sacrifice. Revelation 19, when Jesus rides out in what's supposed to be the great battle scene and it's built up as this whole deal, he's riding out and he's wearing a robe that's been dipped in blood. It's not the blood of his enemies. He, rather, he's wearing a robe that's been dipped in his own blood. Same text. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. What that doesn't mean it's like he's thrashing or like some literal. No, it's a, what is it saying? The, the sword, the sword, the weapon is the word of God. It's a way of saying that God will judge the creation the same way he called it into existence by his word. He doesn't need an army. All, all he needs is his word. That's all. That's all. That's all. But people of God, when they're freaking out, start just looking to pick up stuff and let's go fight somebody. And just because I'm not done with that and it's feeling good to me in the moment, for better or for worse, that's my thing again about prophets these days. <laughs> See, the, the real prophets of God, again, don't just kind of confirm our side. They they, they see something else. They see from a different point of view. They have an aerial perspective. They see, they, they see things at work that no one else is seeing. I've got to move through this text a little faster. I just realized the time and I am sweaty and getting out of control here. When the Arameans came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord. Now listen to this. So now the, 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 the army's pressing in. He said, strike this people, please, with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. I mean, this whole story is wild. God strikes this army following the pagan king completely blind. They, the people are led into this other place. And verse 20 says, as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of the men so that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw that they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them and he said to Elisha, father, shall I kill them? 
He asked it a second time. I think that's interesting. I think you can feel the enthusiasm. These are our enemies. Shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? I mean, should we get them? Can't we get them? You feel that? You hear that in the text there? But he answered to him, no. Did you capture with your sword and your bow those whom you want to kill? Set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and let them go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. (laughs) I love this. After they ate and drank, he sent them on their way and they went to their master and the Arameans no longer came raiding into the land of Israel. Well, we got our enemies on the run. The Lord has given us the victory. Now, what are we going to do? We're going to kill them? The prophet says, oh, no, 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 you don't kill them. Feed them. Should we stab them? Oh, no, 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 no. Stab them. Cook for them. Are we going to trap them, put them in prison? Are you kidding me? No. Give them a buffet. Prepare a feast. There's a lot going on here, but work with me. I promise I'm almost done. Because this is a time when there are a lot of things that we could be discouraged about that I often find myself discouraged about. One of the things that gives me so much hope in this moment is that I so believe that God's plan is still good for creation and for created things. I don't have time to give a whole lecture here, so pardon me if this is shorthand, but let me give you the short version. The prayer that Christians have been praying for 2,000 years because the king gave it to us to pray is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we've been praying for. That's what we've been hoping for. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The prophet Isaiah talks about a day that will come when the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We've been praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Romans 8, Paul talks about how creation itself is sighing and groaning with sighs too deep for words for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. Y'all, whatever happens here, and I'm not saying that it won't get worse before it gets better, but hear my heart here. God's plan is to renew and restore this creation, this creation. Old things pass away, all things become new, doesn't mean he drop kicks one and then he starts over. That's not the idea. Just like when a person comes to Christ, you know, there's, the, there's this transformation that happens from being in the presence of God where you are you, but you're not you, like it's a new you. That's ultimately what God is going to do with the earth. Whatever judgment looks like, the fire of God is for purification. The fire transfigures, the fire transforms. So one way or the other, I know that the story is landing in a good place because the king has promised to complete the work that he started. His kingdom will come on earth. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the size and the longing of creation, it it will finally be met. That is what gives me the strength that when things look real nasty out, that's where I can remember something like the words of Dr. King. The moral arc of the universe is long, but it is bent towards justice. There's a bigger, broader story than the story that we've been told. It's a story that God is telling of us. And the way he moves the story forward is unorthodox and it's not conventional and it doesn't always look like we're winning. We, 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 us versus them. And here's where I really am going to land the plane if you'll give me like five more minutes. Let me clarify this business for a moment of us versus them. One of the reasons I think this text is so unique and I think it's such a glimpse of what's to come in Jesus, and oh man, I feel the Lord right now. God raises up his prophet for his people. And yes, this is good news for Elisha's friends. Yes, this is good news for Israel that this God who sends chariots of fire is on their side. That's good news for Israel to be sure. But look at what happened in the text. Because of the obedience of the prophet, Through the work that God does here, 
God not only redeems Israel, God not only saves the lives of the, of the Israelites, he also saves the lives of those who are following Aram. It wasn't just about his own people. It was about, and let me underscore this word in the nasty way in which we use it. It was about those people. The redemption that God was going to bring to us was not just going to be for us. It's going to be for them. It's going to be for that guy. That's part of the reason, and I know this might be too simple for somebody, that I can tell the difference between good news like gospel news and that which is not good news, is that the fake good news just sounds like good news to me. The fake, I'd never, oh my God, somebody please tweet that business. I'm going to hold on to that for a long time. The fake good news only sounds like good news to me and my tribe. The fake good news only sounds like good news to people who go to my church. If they're in another village, if they're doing something else, if they're on rocks, it's bad news for them. But the real good news is not just good news for us, it's good news for them. Well, how do you work that out, preacher? That doesn't sound like what I heard. Well, let me help you. Go, go back to the beginning of the story. God raised up one man named Abraham, and he said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great man. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you the father of many sons. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. Nod your head, spin around, whatever else you learned in Sunday school, sit down. I don't know why you're clapping at that, but I'm thankful for it. Father Abraham, and what, what did God say to Abraham? I'm going to raise you up to be a great man. I'm going to raise up this great nation. I'm going to give you this great family so that this is where the covenant was always going. This is the direction the promise was always flowing. So that through you, all, 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 I don't know another way to translate it. Well, what do you mean by all? In the Hebrew, all, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God was going to raise up through Israel a light that is Jesus of Nazareth. That was so that the promise that God made to one man in one town, in one tribe, in one nation would eventually extend to the whole world. So the difference when God's real prophets come around, they're not warmongers, they're peacemakers. Because they know that anything good that God does for Israel ultimately was always for the sake of the world. Anything good that God ever did for the church was always for the sake of the Gentiles. Anything good that God ever did for his insiders was always for the sake of the outsiders. Anything good he did for us was ultimately for them. So where I know I'm not hearing the gospel is when somebody's trying to whip me up into a frenzy about the bad guys out there and we got to go and get them. What we got to do is wrestle with these principalities and powers. But what we got to do with our enemies, feed them, bless them. That's the only ring Christians have in the world to identify their enemies. We got to figure out who to bless. We bless our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. We turn the other cheek. I didn't read that in a self-help book. I'm talking about the Sermon on the Mount given by the Lord of the church. I talk about these things and people go, oh, that sounds kind of weak and new agey to me. I just really think we need a weapon. Folks, the Lord of the church told us how to do this. And the way we do it is through blessing. The way we do it is through self-sacrifice. I mentioned Revelation before where the book goes, the lamb conquers through his own sacrifice. But then what we read is that how the people of God overcome is through the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, listen to this, loving not their own lives even unto death, following the lamb wherever he goes. In other words, what we saw him do, that's what, that's what we gotta do. And I keep waiting for somebody to give me a different version of the story that says, the cross is what he did, self-sacrifice is what he did, but you, you just get to take your sword out and go beat up on the bad guys and just win. But that's not it. The way that the victory of God is accomplished through the cross, is, this is still how God wins now, is when we share in the sacrifice of the lamb. Please stand up or I will never stop. Oh my goodness. Does anybody have like a ventilator or something? Or I didn't mean to get so sweaty. 
y'all, I believe this, like from my toenails. I am so not just like going for like some preaching rhetoric here. This is, this is so deep in my own heart. Man, I preach a long time. I promise I'll behave better next week. But can you hear it this morning? I, I just want, as we pray, this is what I want the invitation to be. I want the invitation to be, I'm not going to ask you to come, go forward or come forward or do any particular thing. But I think we just desperately need to ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. To be able to see in a way that we cannot see. I have this little practice these days. I call it breakfast with Jesus. Y'all ever had breakfast with Jesus? He's wonderful to have breakfast with. All it means is that I go to a breakfast spot and I pretend that Jesus is in the chair sitting next to me. And I do my thing where I pray through the morning office from the Book of Common Prayer. And one of the things I love about that is I feel like I I don't always do this, but I try to do it first thing in the morning because I want to hear any other news I get through the day through that filter. I want to like, I don't always do that. Sometimes I look at Twitter first and I'm already halfway towards a heart attack by 10 a.m. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I'm already gripped with such anxiety. There's a knot in my stomach before I even get out of bed. So I try to get that perspective first, to welcome that first. Lord, give us eyes to see the things that only you can see. Give us the eyes to see the world the way that you see it. Give us the eyes to see our enemies the way that you see them. Lord Jesus. Well, God, I ask now in the same way that Elisha prayed over his servant. Lord, I pray that you would open up the eyes of your sons and daughters here. I've said a lot of things I don't want to come in enticing words of man's wisdom. But God, we need the demonstration of your spirit and of power. There's so many stories that are circulating. There's so many accounts that we're hearing. Words, words, words swirling around us in all directions, all the time. So many different reports. And yet this morning we used to sing about that in my churches. I just feel it right now just feels like the question is whose report will you believe Lord we want to believe your report we want to see as you see so I pray even now would you take just this step I'll ask you to do this one thing if you're not comfortable don't do it of course I'm not nothing weird happening here that I'm aware of but if you feel comfortable would you even just lay your hands on your eyes and Lord we just ask God in this moment laying our hands on our eyes Holy Spirit I dare you to pray this Holy Spirit Open up my eyes. Touch my eyes. Heal my eyes. Let me see as you see. Let's just take a moment and sit with that. God, 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 God. We just ask even right now that you would just do a kind of surgery on our eyes, Lord. Give, I, I pray for eye surgery right now, Lord. Change our vision. Change our vision. I feel heat on that. Lord, we need you to repair our sight. Lord, we need grace-healed eyes. We don't see the people around us the way that you see them. We don't see the world around us the way that you see them. So God, touch our eyes, touch our eyes. We confess that we don't see the way that you see. We confess that when we see everything that's happening around us, so often we retreat to fear. So often we retreat to condemnation and labeling. So often we, when we see our enemies, God, because we see them in a way that's so unlike how you see them, we still curse the people you're calling us to bless. God, heal our eyes, transform our eyes, and allow us to see this morning. And I just pray that revelation over all of us even now, that there are more with us than there are with them. It doesn't look like it now, but in the grand scheme of history, there are more for your peace than there are for violence. There are more for reconciliation than are for division. There are more for healing than there are for war and famine. There are more for wholeness than there are for fragmentation. There are more for life than there are for death. It doesn't look like it now, but we receive that in the name of Jesus. There are more for life than there are for death. There are more for for flourishing and thriving and blessing and hope than there are for doom and damnation and despair. There are more for light than there are for darkness. The history books don't always tell us that. The news doesn't always tell us that, but God speak into us now 
And I just pray that everywhere we go and everything that we do this week and everywhere that every conversation that we have, help us now to bring this perspective. God, the world needs this perspective. God, the world, the world needs, because in, in your kingdom now, by the Holy Spirit, we're all called to prophesy your word. That's what you said is that through the Holy Spirit, now your sons and your daughters would prophesy. Lord, how the world needs prophets who will speak your hope and your peace. Let us be that voice. Let us be that salt and light. Let us bring that perspective. And finally, thank you for staying with me this long, you guys. Finally, if you just if we could just pray this together, whatever way you want to, I'm lifting my hands. You can if you want, you don't have to. But God, I just ask on the heels of all this, that you would fill us freshly with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Fill us freshly with the Holy Spirit. Let your spirit fall. Let your grace fall. Let your anointing fall. As it was in the book of Acts, in that upper room, as it was when you breathed on your disciples and they received the Holy Spirit, we ask that you would breathe on us now. And I pray that for the old men and women in this community, God, I pray that you would allow them to dream dreams. And I pray that for the young and the sons and daughters in this community, I pray that they would see, that they would see visions. And God, I just pray, Lord, that where I pray specifically, Lord, even among your daughters here, let them prophesy. Let all who call on your name, I just pray, God, for a release of your Holy Spirit. For us to go to speak that truth that is spoken in love, to speak that word of reconciliation. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your power. Fill us with your words. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening today. For more, go to JonathanMartinWords.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram. To help us keep this podcast going, go to patreon.com slash sonofapreacherman and become a patron today. Remember, no matter who you are or where you come from, we hope this podcast will help you come to know the love that calls you by your true name. Have a good day.